So the episode I just watched was the one with the power outage. Okay. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, I think... Man, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. Ava. Um, but I do remember that one. Um, I think... That's one of like the first like really, really good ones, I think. Well, see, this is the thing is when I started watching it... I was like, this show is incredible. <laughs> and uh, another yeah. friend of ours was just like, uh, it's crazy that you like love it because people say it just like keeps getting better, basically. And um, and I was like, that's great to hear because I'm already having a blast. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good from the from from the jump. Um, you know, most of what it does and the reasons people like it are just the way like it changes so much after that, certain yeah, points. Yeah, that's what... And, like, it becomes a, a totally different show, but, like, even from the beginning, it's just an incredible big robot anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was the one right before... It's the one that's in between the, like, synchronized dancing and the power outage. There's one that people, I guess, say is their least favorite. It's, like, a agreed-upon least favorite. I'm trying to remember what it was now. <laughs> You think you said it was the Asuka Underground one? Yes, it is the one when they're when they're under, um, where they uh, she like goes, she's like diving in the magma or whatever, um, and there's the angel embryo that they find, and when she's like pulling it back to the surface, it it comes to life or whatever. Um, I thought it was good. Yeah, that was like her. Oh, the, her mag- second the magma episode, diver. Basically. Yeah, it's it's been so long. I really need to do a rewatch, especially now that you can just get it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, Evangelion. When I first watched it, I was um, all my friends had been telling me to watch it for a while, and that was back before it was streaming on Netflix and everything. Back when it was kind of hard to find, and the U.S. DVD box set would fetch you like a buck 25 that's crazy um something like that it was like really expensive to get a hold of it and it didn't have end of evangelion in it yeah. or anything it was just it was just the series on some dvds i had never seen it before and one time i was in uh i was in an fye looking at the used anime section and i found it for 20 bucks wow that's a steal uh, <laughs> my my girlfriend at the time was furious with me that's crazy yeah yeah must be insane that is crazy (laughs) must be insane to find stuff like that that's like when i found at like a random local GameStop, i found a copy of metroid the the metroid prime trilogy thing that like at one point went for like thousands of dollars or whatever because it was like super rare i found just like a random copy of it for like 40 bucks yeah the used sections at like fye and gamestop even used to just be like a treasure trove for out of print shit that you couldn't get anywhere for less than a hundred dollars but you were getting it there for like 40 because they didn't know yeah yeah that was like there's this used bookstore in alaska where i lived that had uh just like all they had like a used movie section and it was like criterions that had been like open once 
that uh, they were selling for like $10 each for the Blu-rays. And I was like, 100% I'll buy these. These are like $50, you know, or like four thirty on the sales or whatever. And I was just... Yeah, like, I got... I. I got my used uh, Godzilla Criterion the same way. Yeah, at, at an FYE. Yeah, it was like ten bucks. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Um, All right. Well, everything new was overpriced. Yeah, and yeah. Marked up, but everything used was like oh, valued for way less than it should have been. That is the thing of like finding it on. Um, I was thinking about this recently because I was just. I mean, it is just like the streaming thing. Obviously, it's not like a new observation, but it's like. I remember being like, oh, this movie's not on streaming. I guess I can't watch it. <laughs> and then it's like, I, I have to like either rent it on something or go to a library and get it. And it's just like, that is just yeah. not the world that I live in now. <laughs> I, but yeah, I just started watching it last um, Wednesday. And I like watched one episode and then I watched the next episode the next day. And then I had like, a three-day weekend and i watched like 10 episodes <laughs> yeah and i was just like i gotta i gotta chill i gotta chill yeah it like the back half of that series gets real crazy and then that's yeah uh, and then i got the movie the movie is one of the best things i've ever seen um and i actually i haven't finished the rebuild movies mm-hmm. which i i've heard really good things about the last one in particular people yeah, that really was the one from seem last to love year. that yeah uh 3.0 yeah. plus 1.0 uh thrice yeah. upon a time <laughs> Yeah. It's funny watching it. It reminds... I mean, because I've only ever seen Shin Godzilla from Anno. Yeah. So it's like, I do feel the sort of similar, like, jokey, like, bureaucracy of everything. And, like, everyone has their crazy title and all that. Yeah. It's all all there. Um, It, like, when I first saw that show, it was, like, completely Um, (laughs) mind-blowing. And I, I... was really happy after that to get to see Shin Godzilla when that came out. Yeah. And loved that too. And now he's got Shin Ultraman. Uh, I know, yeah. And Shin Kamen Rider. Uh, yeah, there's a whole yeah. bunch of things that he's doing now. Um, but I, I love those. And, uh, but it, it's so interesting because, like, the way people talk about uh, Evangelion, they talk about it as, like, this big, like, subversion of uh, mecha anime tropes. But then, you know, recently I went back and I watched the original Gundam. And it's basically all there. Um, Yeah. It it has, like, the the trippy psychedelic stuff. It has the, like, hey, maybe war is bad, actually, type of thing. (laughs) It has the young person being controlled by a governmental father figure being forced to get into a robot. Uh, It has all of that. Um, Anno just brings so much other, like weird well he he brings depression to it yeah <laughs> he brings a lot of mental illness uh to evangelion and i think that's what like people our age have really responded to with it yeah just being sat online and watching Ava. i mean yeah <laughs> that is like uh someone was asking me what i thought of ray oh um and i was like he's kind of just been sad so far and they're like, get ready. <laughs> and, like, that's what the show is. Because <laughs> this was, like, after the sort of... It's, like, Ray 2... Or Ray 1 and Ray 2 are the episodes. Yeah. And it's, like, her whole thing. I won't I, um, I won't spoil anything, but, the, like, the reason End of Evangelion exists is because the, the last two episodes of the show were, like, 
such a departure from what people thought it would be and what they thought they wow. wanted uh, to the point where it's basically like two hours of therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And then people reacted in a strong negative way to that. So I was like, okay, I'll make a movie with a new ending. Uh, and then he made it uh, even more alienating. Uh, sure, sure. He added more of the like traditional stuff that people wanted back in, but it's yeah, yeah. It's it's very That's funny, much an alienating thing. Yeah, the other one. I don't know if it's a Gundam. I really don't know anything, but uh, because I liked the Ghost in the Shell so much, someone was telling me I should watch Pat Labor. Pat, Pat Labor. Labor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other like Oishi thing. Um, mm-hmm. that's also you know big robots. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not the big robots right. out there. Yeah, That's there's a time. And, and we're, we're, we're so blessed and grateful to have so many big robots. Welcome to Can I Kick It? I'm one of your hosts, Colin Ashley, joined by... Emilio Diaz. This is a podcast about film festivals. Uh, today, we're talking about uh, Venice competition film Goodbye Dragon Inn, directed by Simon Lang. And we're also talking about doing the classic double feature of King Who's Dragon Inn, which didn't really play any festivals other than, like, restorations, uh, I think, at TIFF in 2014. Um, but, I mean, they're together. They're, this, they're very uh, movies that need to be talked about together, I think. Um, and then to talk about these movies with us is returning guest from the James Wan Spooktacular episode... Writer Chris Mello. Thanks so much for uh, having me. Uh, glad to be back. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, very, very glad that uh, I was someone you thought of when uh, considering these two films. Uh, considering yeah. uh, King Who is like half my personality at this point. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get into that. I think on our like spreadsheet of episode ideas, we've had Goodbye Dragon Inn slash Dragon Inn for a year and a half. And I was like, we're doing it. Yeah. Now I've seen both of the movies. Um. But yeah, I mean, have you have you have a history with King Who? Please go go off. Yeah, so um, my history with King Who is not like it's not especially deep or anything. Um, he is my favorite filmmaker. Um, his film A Touch of Zen is my favorite movie. Full stop. Um, he is someone who, when I was first getting started as a film writer, about uh, got eight years ago now, um, I had no. Um, encounter with him and at that point his films hadn't been restored um you know one of the great recent things in uh in like film restoration in the past decade has been king who movies becoming available in really good quality there's still a few that haven't been restored or at least if they have been they haven't been really shown and put out there like the valiant ones please i know there's a restoration out there i want to see (laughs) it as soon as possible i've watched it on like a vhs rip uh but at this time like the only way that you could see a touch of zen back then was on um like a german dvd it was out Mm. of print everywhere else very hard to see um and somebody had recommended it to me because i was looking for like a a chinese wuxia epic and um just by like happenstance i found out that it was playing at uh brooklyn academy music on 35 millimeter like two months after i first heard about it so my, (laughs) my friends and i all all booked tickets and like we got showed up kind of late so we were only in the front row which turned out to be perfect because it was just the whole screen taking up my whole f- field of vision it was just like having my my skull ripped open by it um like <laughs> real because like that movie has like 
this kind of like transcendent uh buddhist bent to it and like it really connected and it really felt like one of the most uh transcendent experiences i've ever had so since then i've just you know made my way through the other king who movies finding pretty much each and every one of them to be really special stuff yeah this is the only one of his i've seen i've been meaning to get to a touch of zen for a minute I assume the same is for you, Emilio. This is the only one of his you've seen. Yeah, my history of King Who is seeing people type it, out, type King Who out, and thinking they were mistyping Kung Fu. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is like uh, I I feel like around that sort of time of like the mid twenty tens when everything like this was getting like their new restorations. And, like, the one that I always think about is uh, uh, Brighter Summer Day, which was, like, uh, famously you could only watch it on, like, a terrible DVD rip or, like, Mm -hmm. even subpar than that maybe with, like, hard-coded subtitles. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, they restored it to, like, uh, beauty. And, I mean, similarly, we've talked about it before with um, Botrevai, where that forever you could only see it, like, on a print or a DVD rip and it was like the Blu-rays, the new restorations are like life changing. (laughs) And then getting to see these having only seen like dragon and, and it's sort of restored quality. I can't imagine like, you know, the first time you see it new again, (laughs) it's like something completely different. Yeah. I think King who is really like one of the filmmakers. Cause a lot of filmmakers have benefited from that, like 2010s restoration post. But I think he's someone who's like a stature in the West has really grown because of it. Um, yeah. Where, like, at the beginning of the 2010s, people knew who he was. People in the known did. But it wasn't yeah. like, you know, you could now go online and get a really good looking Blu ray of, like, his six most well regarded works yeah. for, like, 20 bucks a piece. And that used to not be the case of it. Of it. Right now, you can, um, I think you can stream uh, this and A Touch of Zen on Criterion, I think. Um, yeah. And a co- at least this one, yeah, sure. and a couple of the others you can stream on Arrow right now. Um, Come drink with me, Raining in the Mountain, Legend of the Mountain. Um, they're like always on streaming services now, and that's such a far cry from where we were. Um, I, yeah, I think yeah. that there are things that we lose in the streaming era for sure. Sure, but I, yeah. I think that like the availability of stuff like this is is mm-hmm. it's the best. Yeah, the. Um... I mean, and it is, like, you were saying um, about the sort of, like, wuxia epicness of uh, Dragon Inn. And this one is, like, part of that. Or, sorry, of A Touch of Zen. Yeah. And uh, Dragon Inn, like, especially, like, me, someone who is, like, very much a neophyte in this regard. Uh, it is somewhat of, like, a more stripped-down version of that, no? Um, Compared to A Touch of Zen, yes. Because uh, a, t- yeah. a Touch of Zen is very much, like it's the peak of the genre in many ways um it's certainly like aesthetically and in its beauty and everything like that um this is stripped down compared to that but it's still part of that tradition it like you know it doesn't look like what uh, a lot of westerners will think of when they think of wuxia having like the images mm-hmm. of crouching tiger hidden dragon and hero in their head yeah like it's there's not like a lot of wire work there's not a lot of flying around. Um, there is some, and it's great. But you get a little uh, bit. You get a little end, bit. Yeah. And it's really good. Um, but it, it's it's not a lot of that. There's um, 
there's less mysticism in this film than there are than there is in a lot of other uh, specifically King Who films. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call it stripped down, but it does have kind of this um, a feel very similar to uh, westerns and samurai films in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, that is a good. How I mean, it's yeah, centered around an end and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but for um, for King Who, like one of the things that I like about this movie so much. Um, is so this is the first movie he makes outside of Hong Kong. Um, yes, yeah. Previous, right before this, he had made uh, "Come Drink with Me," his first like wuxia film at Shaw Brothers, and that film yes, yeah. like has a little bit more mysticism, a little bit more spirituality. It's also like the female knight type thing that that he does in a lot of his films. That's like historically a big part of the genre, um, but it's also and it's great to look at, but it's also like set bound. And, like, very much, you can tell it has the quality of a Shaw Brothers production in, like, the ways that it's limited to filming location and that sort of thing. So, I think um, King Hu felt a little bit constricted by what he was able to do at Shaw Brothers. Mm -hmm. So, he went to Taiwan to make his next two films, this and A Touch of Zen. And the comparison is, like, really stark because um, if you watch... Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films from the 70s, even when they get out of the sets and they get out into nature, the fields are kind of flat. They don't really look like yeah. it. It's just grass and dirt. Um, and here, the landscapes that he films... It's crazy. They're, they're yeah. insanely beautiful. The stuff that he's able to capture on film. Um, like that whole last sequence where they're... Up against the mountains. Up in the mountains, and they're like yeah. over the clouds. and The clouds are crazy, just, yeah any shot of water running through it like the way rocks mm -hmm. look in this movie just it's insanely good looking yeah there's that um there's that shot like after the first night or whatever and you see the sunrise as they're all like outside and it's just like one of the craziest things like a full just like all like striking beauty it's so crazy yeah. <laughs> um but yeah very briefly what the movie is because it is a sort of you know, I mentioned stripped down in terms of relation to that sort of genre. It is like a pretty spare movie in terms of yeah. what happens. It's just like there's the the family of a general that died is trying to cross over. Mm -hmm. And like their one night is like they have to stay at the Dragon Inn, like the Dragon Gate Inn, uh, for one, like to before they get like where they're going as like on their travels. And the eunuch um uh who's like the villain of the film uh has secret police stop by at the end early to like ambush them but then there's also uh you know someone else uh there's like the expert wait, wait, i i forget i forget the names but he's like he's the guy who's in uh goodbye dragon and or one of the guys who's in goodbye dragon yeah. and is like gets there also and then there's like the traveling brother and sister mm -hmm. fighters that show up and they're like sort of not put upon, but they just end up helping yeah. the family cross and like fight against the secret police. And then like, <laughs> there's just like them there. There's like a lot of tension inside the inn. Then they go, you know, outside of it, have some fight. The eunuch shows up. They make fun of him a lot, and then they cut his head off. Yeah. It's like the 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 very very crazy ending. It's like the death proof ending. 
Yeah, the like the main eunuch in this movie, he's also asthmatic. He's like Darth Vader with no balls. Yes. It's great. He really is like uh Does Darth Vader have balls? I don't know. Do they get burned off? That's a good question. He is like a torso. Yeah. But he might have his he might have genitals have still. Um uh, yeah, the character of the eunuch is really so funny. Oh, he's that great. they're just like you're a virgin and you have asthma, and he's so and he's easily like, confused. Ugh. They just run around him in circles, and then he's just like yeah. seeing things. Uh, the introduction of the asthma, where he's like, "I can't like do too much," <laughs> or my asthma, and he's like, "Well, now you have to fight five people," and they're just like, "Yeah," like you said, spinning around him. I, re- a great I really love there. that by that point in the movie, two of their enemies who are also eunuchs have joined their cause and are fighting against yes, this unit. Yes. And they are just making my, my the main guy is just making you have no balls jokes to this man. Yeah. While his two dudes also have no balls. I mean yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he does have them on his team. Um I guess general thoughts, Amelia, do you have any for the movie itself? Dragon in? What am I doing? I think I mean I liked it, obviously. It's very cool. Um, you know, I was, this is like a type of film that I am generally unfamiliar of apart from like influence, obviously, like apart from like the DVD featurettes on a DVD of Kill Bill volume one. <laughs> I, have, I don't think I, I ever like have engaged with this kind of movie, not because I don't want to, but just, it just looks like it's not a thing I've ever come across really. So it was nice to, like, actually fully engage with one. Uh, I really enjoyed the lady and how she fought, yeah. specifically. Like, she has, like, the one fight outside, like, out right outside of the inn. So that I yeah, think with, is, like, like, the four guys. That's, so That's the one yeah. that, in Goodbye Dragon Inn, she is doing the back and forth mm-hmm. with the person who works at the theater. Yeah, that's, like, the highlight of the movie for me. I think that part is just uh, incredibly cool. She's, like... It's, like, so elegant, but also, like, a little, like, rough and tumble. It, I mean, any movie with this much swords, it's, like, hard to have that many complaints about. Yeah. Yeah. All, all her fights, because she's, um, she's my favorite, too. And um, all of her, like, a lot of her fights, I think, uh, who uses, like, a lot of, like, uh, tr- small tracking shots in her in her scenes um, where she's just like cutting through guys that's a little bit different than the way that he cuts in uh, the other people's fights um, I really like her um, I really like what he does generally with like swords women in his movies um, oftentimes um, he uses them as like um, and, and come drink with me this and uh, Touch of Zen, they're all like disguised as men when you first meet them. Um, and my favorite thing is how easily people disguise themselves as men in uh, yes. Kung Fu and Wuxia movies and no one notices. They're like, yeah, this is a dude. Uh, we, we got it. Um, and like he does that and he's like always very interested in women warriors. Like even going forward into uh, the Fate of Lee Khan, a film that he does later, um, which is kind of, which is also in-based, but kind of has, like, the, like, female Power Rangers of Kung Fu. Uh, it's, like, one of his recurring themes that I really enjoy, and I really love her performance in this movie particularly. Yeah. Um, 
there's that great scene where, like, they've finally shown up to the inn, and they've, like, done this already with uh, the other guy, um, where they try to poison his wine, <laughs> and uh, they show up, and he, like, lets her know, and she's like, the wine is poison, and they're, like, going back and forth with the brother, and he keeps calling her you know, his brother, and he's, it's it's just, like, a very funny thing, like, when you're watching it, you're like, obviously, this is not the brother, <laughs> and, um, the way they sort of, uh, deploy that, like, disguise, as you're saying, is very funny, and then that scene is great, it's got the, the bit where she, like, is demanding the other guy's bowl of wine, yeah. and he's like, I'm not gonna give it to you, it's mine, and, like, he finally, uh, tries to attack her, and it's, like, the I feel like an iconic shot of like the bowl of wine on the end of the sword yeah. and as she's like looking down at <laughs> Yeah, it's like I will say at the beginning of the movie when stuff there's a thing like I think we briefly talked about it when we talked about Kagamusha. I do find like when movies are like a little too like warlordy like that, I, sure. I can find them a little bit yeah. like stayed and like a little boring so at the beginning i was a little worried but like the first scene of that of like the poisoning and, and him just like navigating that and being like no 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 and like insisting and then going back and forth and then forcing that guy to drink the thing and then the guy shooting the arrow him hitting yeah. it back with the wine thing that's when i was like oh yeah no this movie's great i mean yeah all the deflections i love the way the arrows fly in this movie where it's just like four at a time and it's just like Ugh, and like they're yeah. sort of like tossed um, no, it's one of those things where I'm like, it seems like you throw these things faster than you like arrows. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel, I feel like you could have, you could just throw them at this point. Like, I don't know what you're gaining by. I mean, that's great when he, yeah, when he, like, you see through the window, the guy shoots the arrow, and he like backs up, catches it, and like smacks the back of something, it shoots back and hits like the guy. It's so catch. sick. Yeah, any scene in this movie where people are just like showing off is so yeah. much fun. This everyone the, gets the, to flex a little. The scene bit. where they're um, talking about how. Uh, where they're learning about how fast and powerful the eunuch is. And so yeah. they're like, is he as fast as this? And they throw the candle up in the air and they, yes, and they, the candles, and they yeah. uh, slice it in half. And then the, the two like eunuch brothers are like, well, he's even faster than us. And they, they do something even more impressive, landing the candles yeah. on the tips of their swords, like with the cup before. Um, and again, like, like, like I've said with like a, 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 uh, other things, it's something that like King who returns to again and again is yeah. like these little scenes of, great warriors just showing off this is funny that you mentioned kagamusha and like not liking that emilio because the beginning scene is like one of my favorite scenes where it's just like here's the explanation of everything uh you get the scroll that says dragon in and they start going through the credits and i love the piece of score there that is just like it starts and i, I mean i love the score throughout i really love when they're doing like the like back and forth cutting and it's just like that same sting like over and over again yeah. uh and, and the music like, it's wood blocks like yeah oh, i mean the wood blocks are crazy that like wood block um, like kind of like again western or samurai feel yes it is it. like yeah it's like that sort of um uh, uh morcone like yeah. whistle track uh it just keeps repeating and then like the the stuff in the end is like so it's just like one of those things that's a genius or not a genius. It's just like a great idea to be like, well, we'll put everyone here and just do a bunch of cool stuff in this small space. And it's like completely full with the secret police. And then he shows up and, you know, they try and poison him. 
and like we we mentioned that scene where he like shoots the arrow back um and then he's just sitting there still and then just more and more people start showing up there's the great like night ambush scene where he um I, I I I forget the guy's name. He's like the the main guy, sort of. I have not seen this movie in a Shall? while. I should have said, yeah, 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 yeah. Shall he's I? like, um, he, he's like the I guess like assassin. He's like the guy who um was there to like meet the innkeeper. Yeah. Um. And he uh, but there's like he's sort of on the up and up, and he's like, these guys are like not acting right, and he knows something's gonna happen. And there's the great bit where the brother and the sister feel the ambush coming and they're like setting it up. So the secret police are setting it up. So the brother and the sister think that the other guy is attacking them. And he, the brother like runs to attack and he ends up like thrown out a window. And then like the sister also has to come and he's like, wait, let me tell you, (laughs) I'm not like attacking anyone. And that's when they like start working together. But then, I mean, when the, the the fight with the uh, like there's the pre-fight with ever like all the other secret police before they fight with a eunuch where that one guy gets like blasted with arrows the innkeeper maybe um, and then uh, the fight with the eunuch is so enjoyable I think where you have like them going back and forth with him and then he like tries to evade and that's where he's like the sort of most magical it gets where he's like jumping from tree to tree yeah, and it's just like it cuts and you see him on a different tree and then he meets up with the sister again uh, and they start to have their head to head and then it just culminates with the great bit of him getting stabbed and stabbing, stabbing with the guy's with the sword, sword in that's him. in him and then he gets his uh, head cut yeah. his head cut off and it's just like the, end. the most just triumphant yeah i mean there's like the little bit the, of yeah, the little them walking and but then it's just like the end and i'm like yeah great <laughs> sick way to end a movie yeah, uh, i after i rewatched it today i went on letterbox and i was reminded of um my favorite bit of writing that uh colin's ever done oh boy <laughs> uh may i read your letterbox <laughs> review on air yeah please go ahead i love this <laughs> they really beat the shit out of that asthmatic virgin <laughs> Yeah. They sure did. I mean, that's truly, that's what they did. <laughs> they let him have it. <laughs> I mean, and that guy, I he's got a great look. Because he's, like, very, like, red in the face when he's fighting. And he's got the bright, like, platinum blonde hair. Uh, and he just, he looks so angry. What's crazy about him is that when he has, like, his headgear on and everything, his hair looks, like, yeah. completely white. And he looks really old. And then it comes off and he's got, like, this flowing like gold hair and I'm yeah. like oh is this guy hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean he is just like a, a cool customer near the end yeah. despite being an asthmatic virgin as we mentioned um, absolutely incredible outfit on that guy too he, lo- yeah, he looks yeah, great yeah. I mean the the costuming is really incredible oh the colors pop so much the, everything is the so colors are great. vibrant everyone's uh, like little headpiece hairnet thing mm-hmm. is very cool <laughs> um but yeah, I, I mean, just like the stark white and like the bright blue, it just looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like them just running around him to confuse him. That's always <laughs> a good bit. I always love seeing that like in an anime. I feel like that's a technique pulled off often. Just, they just like run around until like eventually like 
images start fading into each other. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, this guy's just like went cross-eyed or whatever. It's like uh, the bit in The Simpsons where Millhouse is in the tree and it's just his face in the leaves. And it's like him sending his voice around to different areas. I feel like I've brought this up multiple times on the show. I don't know why it keeps going up. But I did think of that. Because it's just like a, now I'm over here, now I'm over there, like, bit. Arrows are crazy when you think about them, you know? Sure. They really are. I was thinking about how, like... Um, because when the, the arrows come out of windows and stuff, I'm like, is that how arrows really fly? Are they like that, like floppy, like, and they still work? Yeah. They don't seem like they should work. Maybe that's just the movie. <laughs> Maybe there's just a. I mean, I think there's just yeah. a grip behind that window, just throwing a bunch of arrows. But I was like, oh, yeah. arrows, weird thing. I Isn't wasn't there. I was... I, there's like the scene where they're like shooting the fire arrows to try to burn down. Yeah. The end, and you can see that they all like. It's a very funny scene to shoot for that long because it's like you can see most of them just like limply like flopping off of the wall. They're just like half yeah. hitting it, and then like like a third of them are like actually staying on the roof and like seem to be burning it down to any extent. But half of them are just doing nothing. I mean, you gotta fi- you yeah. gotta figure like arrows at that time were probably pretty shitty, right? Like, there's no way they like they didn't have like good um... factory man- manufacturing to have consistent arrows every time. They probably aren't extremely consistent, right? But I feel like they, they can still kill you. If you, they did yeah, what they were supposed to do. An arrow flying at that time looks different than it does where it is more just like a ping, yeah. instead of a like up and over. Right. They don't or, have like like our like modern compound bows that are like yeah, yeah, military yeah. fetishism gear. Yeah. <laughs> the um, I have shot a arrow before me too emilio no never no. shot an arrow i feel no. like it's a being calling the archers over here yeah it's like a camp activity i feel like yep. where it's like you will shoot at this big styrofoam block that has like a red yellow blue target on it i got a, i got a merit badge it. for it wow that's crazy i did not really do don't any official archery don't, <laughs> don't go back in time and be a boy scout bad idea yeah yeah um but i i have done it before and yeah. uh it's crazy you sort of just like it's hard it to smacks you in the forearm it's really the, the difficult. weird little thing will hit you in the forearm yeah because uh when i did it and i was at i was at boy scout camp and you had to score a certain amount of points on the on the target sure and i I was, like, d- taking that test for, like, a day and a half before I got it. I got it on, like, my last try, and they're like, okay, you can, you did it now. You have your merit badge. And then the, ne- yeah. the next year I went back to camp, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go down to the archery range, see what's up, see if I can still do this. Could not even fire an arrow. It was all Crazy. gone. That muscle memory, just gone. Yeah. I did it at Vacation Bible Study School. VBS, baby. Um... Where we just did it in the interim of time when we weren't sitting around talking about the Bible, I guess. I only remember th- that and eating a specific chocolate cake. That was really good. <laughs> um, Is there archery in the Bible? I feel like there's a really obvious one that we aren't going to think about. Um. I want to say Samson, but I know I'm wrong. <laughs> archery in the Bible. Wow. There must be. How old are 
This Bowie is like when they have tennis and power of the dog. And I was like, what year are we in? How can they not have archery in the Bible? <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's archery in the Bible. There's just like sure, sure. bows and arrows referenced. Um, yeah, yeah. Slings yeah, and arrows, I feel like, is a big thing. Esau hunted with a bow and arrow, apparently. Classic Esau. Classic yeah. Esau. Um, yeah. I guess Roman, did Roman soldiers sure. have... I guess they probably had to. Have. Oh, for sure. Must yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Must yeah. have. Must have. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, well, certain, like, battle formations, like, for the Greeks, for, like, the Spartans and stuff, weren't they, like, designed specifically to... Uh, defend from archers i think yeah 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 and like i mean i mean the greeks definitely had archery is, competitions like yeah, yeah yeah okay i mean this we is getting it. into like one of one of my Archer biggest assault. one of my biggest uh, uh i guess i don't even know how to, like this isn't a blind spot i'm as much as just me being bad at things of just like I feel like anything pre like the 1700s of history just like blends all together and i have no idea what year anything is yeah yeah i get that a little bit um because so, it's like i I thought about it this week because i'm like because i think about like wuxia and samurai movies and i'm like these could take i don't know if these though if like those two genres traditionally take place in like a similar amount of time or like hundreds of years apart like i truly have no concept of like that history really yeah uh me neither Largely, um, all I know is that like this movie is set in the Ming Dynasty, which is like three hundred years long from the thirteen hundreds to the sixteen hundreds. I don't know quite where it might say. I don't know. Um, yeah, I most like. I feel like most samurai movie time periods are a little bit later because uh, a lot of samurai movies have like the inventions of guns in them. You know, like that's a big thing yeah. in Yojimbo is that somebody has a gun. Um, and like that's happening. Um, I mean, yeah, we don't really need to get into this that deeply. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, the arrows feel, do move crazy. I just feel like, yeah, like I, I just to like put a fine point on it. I, I feel like these two, those two genres are like very yeah. like both popular in the, both the East and the West. And they're like very example, like exemplary of like popcorn like action yeah. cinema but they're also yeah. history dense but i also never retain any of the history. oh yeah yeah i mean that's the thing with like um even kung fu movies going going forward um which usually take place a little bit closer to the present than wuxia films do um usually around the end of the uh, Qing dynasty and into um republican era china um of the 1900s so like a lot of those films take place in like from like 1850 to like 1912 or whatever um but yeah i mean the samurai stuff and uh wuxia is definitely like much more historic is a very historical genre um a lot of it keeps it pretty vague so you don't like i don't know like i don't feel lost by not knowing the political specifics of this time in china but they're there they just don't seem to matter that much yeah because it's like i guess like when I watch, like, a Western, I have a good idea of just, like, yeah, this is probably from, like, the 1860s, 1870s to, like, 1919. Like, the, I, I have a vague idea when those movies are set, and I feel like yeah. I, I sort of grasp, like, when those movies, like, have a thing to say about the specific area of, we- like, era of Western they're 
from whether it's like the end of the western or like the heyday of it or whatever or whatever so i guess it's just like all equivalent i just yeah i did think about that a little when watching dragon and and then i think of watching it goodbye dragon in a bit but like for a different reason oh yeah for sure yeah i think um before we wrap up on dragon which i'm sure we'll return to as we talk about goodbye dragon and there is just a little bit that i remember of um the sort of formal qualities i really remember there's a lot of like striking close-ups of people's faces like huge huge on that like widescreen frame that just looked incredible and as we mentioned already this sort of um the way the nature looks all the natural elements in the movie do really shine in that like big just like wide format uh the the shot that i mentioned earlier of like i mean the shot that you mentioned chris of the um like when they're up in the mountains, that whole segment, and you just see like the clouds below them is like like jaw dropping, and then that um the big one of the sunrise is like just incredible. Yeah, and and the close ups thing, they uh, it also feels very much of a piece, like with the, what you were saying about how the film reminded you of Leone. Um, like yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. close ups are definitely very yeah, just to like those. of like the, yeah. the face, yeah. It is like the sort of like standoff thing. We'll both squint our eyes and then like fight. Mm-hmm. Like we'll both get ready. And then they they'll do something with like a hidden trampoline and they'll flip over. Some yeah, places. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The the the, yeah, the trampoline flips are very good in this movie. Yes, yes, yes. You love to see a person flip, but yeah, there's also like a lot of shots that use like the vista and people like very far away, and I mm-hmm. feel like use the depth in the same similar way to like a western. Yeah. In a very interesting way. I, I mean, it's just like... I, I, I did is a dumb statement, but like one of the best aspect ratios of all time. We should, we really should be using yeah, it. Yeah, we love scope. <laughs> you we gotta scope. stand scope. They mostly use it for like Palm Springs and Plus One, like weird rom-coms now. <laughs> it's not really like... I, I feel like we I watched both of those in like 2020 and someone was like it's crazy that these movies are all in scope for some reason yeah it's it's largely become that like the uh the 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 cinephile uh um aspect ratio is now what 1661 your european widescreen yeah 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 and everyone loves like the four three the the Mm -hmm. right card special (sighs) yeah i love them all baby (laughs) they put a movie in the box i like it yeah um and if you change it halfway through, like Trey Edward Schultz style, <laughs> I love that even more. Um, so he change it in waves? But yeah. I didn't see waves. Yeah, I, does he change it in waves? It's like the whole movie's thing is that he changes the does, aspect does, ratio does he, a lot. Does he do it mommy style where he reaches in and pulls it apart? No, like I mean, look, the mommy one is cool. <laughs> I, I do love the mommy one. Um, the, the waves one is like... <laughs> what if Xavier Delon listened to Life of Pablo a lot? <laughs> like he really is just not on it in waves. What a that is a movie that was like uh, so bad. I watched it on a plane. I had twenty minutes left, and I have not returned. <laughs> um, Incredible. But yeah, this those this final twenty minutes may be the best part of waves. That so is the other thing is like you as certainly I do left, not need to I go was back. Like, well, this movie's like getting interesting now. Yeah. Yeah, you do not need to go back to waves. Um, 
Well, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about Dragon Inn. I mean, not really. I mean, I, mean, yeah, I guess what I what I said before of just like I've watched Kill Bill Volume One a lot, so it is sort of nice to just like be like, oh, this is where most of that sort of stuff comes from. Yeah. Even though I sort of I sort of already knew that it's like like the Shaw Brothers logo is in both of the Kill Bills. He just puts them in because that's quentin tarantino for you i guess he's probably a big like figure in these movies getting restored i i assume i'm just like renewed Maybe. interest in this kind of film yeah oh i mean i guess yeah the sort of collective like the culture around like those movies in the early 2000s like you mentioned crouching tiger and hero were both yeah, huge in the states yeah. and then like i i imagine there's a bit of it with just like him capitalizing on that sort of trend and then he's also he's got his reputations for putting his face on the side of the chunking express dvd <laughs> or whatever yeah he, he did um, get a lot of white boys into one car why so there's yeah speaking of trade results um <laughs> should we move on to goodbye dragon in should we let's say, say goodbye, yeah, to, dragon say goodbye to dragon in and hello to goodbye dragon in okay hello goodbye um, dragon this one it's a good movie in I mean, yeah, it is great. If anyone has anything to say, just general thought, go off right now. Um, I'll, I'll say that, like, um, something it has in common with the movie that it's showing in it, Dragon In, like we just talked about, is that they're both, like, really incredible introductions to their genre. Oh, um, like, yeah. uh, Dragon In is the best, like, best first wuxia movie. Absolutely. And uh, Goodbye Dragon In is the best first slow cinema movie. Um, yeah. Because, one, it's 80 minutes long. It's very two short, because yeah. it shows clips of Dragon Inn. It has action scenes in it. <laughs> yeah, and two, it's just luxurious. Um, it's I mean, it's so it's get everything. It's, amazing it's so funny. It. I think. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Um, we um, briefly for Goodbye Dragon Inn. It premiered in competition at Venice in two thousand and three. Uh, where Andre Zvignetsev's The Return won the Golden Lion and other movies in competition. You have Bruno Dumont's 29 Palms, Takeshi Kitano's Zedoichi. Uh, you've got Michael Winterbottom's Code 46, Alejandro Gonzalez and Aritu's 21 Grams. Uh, who do we have on the jury this year? Uh, Ennui, uh, Michael Ballhouse, Mario Monticelli was the jury president. So there's some people for sure. Yeah. I feel like 90s through like late 2000s Venice like directors had a very specific vibe, but it's impossible to describe what that vibe is. But sure. But it's like weirdly when you say like Michael Winterbottom, Alejandro Gonzalez Inuri to yeah. Takeshi Kitano, Thaiming Long, I'm like that makes sense to me in my brain, even though it shouldn't. Yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. It's like the sort of... And Dumont being there, too. Like I, Yeah, I, I like, now they're sort of, like, the old guard. Yeah. But then it was, like, they were basically whatever, like, normal guy who just puts a lot of movies out at festivals. Like, it could be anybody. But I, I, I do understand what you mean, where it's, like, these were the guys at the time, where it's, like, mid-2000s festival, Bruno Dumont's gonna be there. But, yeah, it uh is about a theater their last showing and it is the movie dragon in you have two of the cast members in attendance and it is just sort of the goings on of this last night in this crazy theater and uh 
as they show this movie for everyone and then close up shop forever. <laughs> and it's uh, it's an incredibly, I think, moving movie. I uh, watched it with Dragon Inn earlier this year, and it's one of the ones that I've watched this year that has like, really stuck with me. And uh, it's just got a lot going on. I really think, like, scene by scene, it is pretty... Because we watched, um, like, early on in our one our run, we watched uh, Face, the Siming Long movie. And that was the sort of, like, that was the first sort of slow cinema movie I'd really watched. Uh, with a, a few exceptions. And certainly it was the first Psy that I'd seen. And then, like, later in 2020, I went and watched... Um, Vive L'Amour, which I loved. And I was like, I think I, like, understand what is happening more now yeah. uh, as I, like, watch more of it. And then when I got to Goodbye Dragon in this year, I was like, this is incredible. And there's, like, others that I need to see, obviously. Did we watch um, Face before we watched Colossal Youth? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the Pedro Costa movie for anyone listening uh which is also he he also is part of that sort of slow cinema Movement. yeah yeah um but i mean this one like i think i talked about it even on the podcast when i watched it earlier this year that i was just like it's got so much going for it it is so funny there are like the scenes that i think about often of him the sort of because there's like a guy who shows up from japan to sort of just hook up with a like looking for gay hookups in this movie theater and he um there's a scene where he's sitting and behind him uh a woman's like eating peanuts really loudly and like the the noise is just so loud and he finally gets up to leave and like the entire theater floor is covered in peanut shells and it's just like that is a very simple like setup knockdown joke and it is just funny and good and works well that's interesting that that reads like a joke where when i saw that bit i was like because the movie's obviously a little about ghosts yeah well, it's yeah. obviously dealing about like it's a little like haunted and Someone does say that the theater is haunted at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like weirdly, even like I was sort of like almost disappointed in myself because before that I was like I was like I'm getting haunted vibes from this, yeah. and then the guy says it, and I'm like, God damn it, the movie says it. I'm not smart for thinking this, but uh, if if but it's just like so that scene sort of reads like spectral to me, just like this sort sort of like what almost like one panel like. Or I guess more like a like a like a spooky painting or whatever of just like this spirit haunting the theater of just like leaving their like peanut sure, shells all yeah. over the place and like leaving their sort of like spiritual mark all over it. I Does, mean that it, is it is funny. It, it, I mean I find it more funny like before that moment of just like him sort of like weirdly getting annoyed by all these people. Sort of. Well, like, I mean, that's the similar thing there. of it being like. The movie starts with this crowd, like, watching watching the opening credits to Dragon Inn. And, like, the theater is completely full. Yeah. And it is just, like, when the movie ends, there is no one in the theater. And it is the sort of haunted element that you're talking about. There's also the scenes where he's, like, sitting down and people just appear around him, basically. Yeah. Like, their feet come into frame. And, I mean, he goes to the bathroom and it is, like... It's completely full. Um, 
but the, it, it is that thing of the sort of uh, omnipresent specter of like all yeah. these people that have been to the theater before. It is. Uh, it does capture one of one of the emotions that I mo- that I most uh, regularly feel these days, which is like the profound disappointment of you thinking you are alone in a movie theater and then realizing <laughs> somebody else is gonna is come comes up and sits like right next Horrible. to you. Yeah, that like, is the funny bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like for me, the whole the whole film going back to that is. Um, it's kind of about ephemerality and how like even these things that we take for granted these institutions like the movie theater and the movies that they show how all of them will go away in time um how we like um especially in hollywood you know we believe the lie that being in movies will make us immortal in some ways but at the end we have the actors from dragon inn who have just watched the movie that they were in years ago um so that nobody remembers them now and um like the movie will like the theater one day disappear uh just as everybody in the theater literally disappears and reappears in the movie and things come back um a thing that i think is related to that that um i really like about this movie a thing that i really like in movies in general is when they're kind of like a study of a space and this is maybe the best one that i can think of um the way that like the space of the specific auditorium that the movie's showing in, um, shot from very different angles with um, people coming in and out of frame, uh, just appearing and disappearing, like you said, Colin. Um, it does create this like really haunting, disorienting effect of this space that should be incredibly familiar, um, but at the same time feels like nothing I've ever been in before. Um, like mm-hmm. something that is so close to my experience, but so far away at the same time, and yeah. it's like this weird liminal space. Yeah, yeah, because it's like obviously when you're talking about slow cinema, you're working with these directors basically using time, using like for the fourth dimension or whatever to like stretch out an idea or a thematic concept, and it sort of like works to break you down in that way. But I think the movie also has a great use of like third dimension like it has like a spectacular use of depth of just like Mm -hmm. the way that people come in and out of frames people's like positions relative to one another just like how every frame has like these difficult these i mean different focal points just people existing at the top back of a frame people existing at the like front left Mm -hmm. part of a a frame Mm -hmm. and just like their relationship with one another how like in that like peanut shell segment that we talk about how we just like the guy leaves his seat and then just walks down this aisle like all the way to the bottom and out it's just like very interesting to consider and like keeps i feel like these scenes feeling like fresh because you never know like when where people are going to exit or enter and that sort of like keeps your attention even when it's being like very slow and plotting um what else was i going to say about it um I, I mean, we when we talked about face. I don't know if you've seen face. Chris. I haven't. No. Um. But 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 face is sort of a similar thing in that it's like shot and set at the Louvre. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. sort of like, a, it's sort of doing this thing where it almost it sort of exists as these like ephemeral like planes of people of just like almost like what if people were like making this art as like film in like a 3d space or whatever and just like 
its relationship with like Truffaut films and the sort of art that is at the Louvre and just like mm-hmm. what walking around this that sort of spaces is, is sort of similar and it did remind me of it which is weird because like if you had asked me like yesterday if I had any memory of face I would be like no we watched that very early that movie was like again for somebody who had never like really engaged with slow cinema was sort of difficult to watch but then it was like I, I watched and really enjoyed Goodbye Dragon and the sort of memory the face came flooding in of just like yeah. oh yeah I remember when that movie had the thing of like the the, the entire place flooding right that, that was like a the, thing yeah he has a sink uh, 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 why can't I think of his name he's like the guy who's in every single um, uh, King, uh, Lee Kang Shang, yeah. and he um, he like it has a sink that just like falls apart and it starts leaking water from like the faucet until it is like filling his house. It is a very like slapsticky scene almost, but it is you know it's the sort of thing where it just takes a while. It's a lot like the hole uh, in that way. Yeah, see, I haven't seen the hole yet, and I I, I need to see the yeah, hole. That was great. Um, yeah, I, there's um, a yeah. there, there's a lot of stuff also just on um, on face that I think about all the time. <laughs> we don't need to get into, but I feel like uh, when I I rewatched Irma Vep recently, and in my head, uh, Jean Pierre Leo was like the oldest like slouch man in the world in Irma Vep, but then I was like, oh no, that's how he is in <laughs> fucking face. Like he is just like wrapped in scarves and and coats. <laughs> And, like, it has just, like, a small cameo in it, but, like, it is a very memorable look from him. So, uh, I don't know if either of you have thoughts on, like, what, um, Dragon Inn is doing in this movie. Like, what its, like, significance is to this theater or anything like that. Um. I thought about it, and it's truly one of those things where it's like, I guess I don't know enough about like the history of like Taiwanese movie houses to like really, but it just seemed to me like this is probably the sort of thing that would play there and probably is like indicative of this place is like golden age. It's like, sure, sure, sure. It's like, uh, you know, the happening place to be where it was like packed to the guild and everybody was just like in there watching like the hot new Wuxia or Shaw brothers movie. And it was like, a communal like societal event to go watch these things and now it's just like sort of empty and like dingy and dark yeah that makes sense to me um especially like i I guess dragon inn is kind of this towering icon in taiwanese Mm -hmm. cinema kind of like at a in-between point um between like the early stuff and the uh the taiwanese new wave um that would happen in like the 80s so i I guess it's like this uh, towering movie in that um in that cultural history that is you know um a lot more popular than a lot of other stuff i mean uh it's probably you know i don't want to assume anything but i would probably say it's probably the biggest hit from taiwan until like ang lee right yeah maybe that is a good call yeah um because I mean, like, Ho Shao Shen's not making money overseas, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you know. Um, and you know, like, I, I guess going back to the idea of like the idea of the space being haunted and the way, like, I don't know, it sounds kind of cliche, but the way that like that movie would haunt the people who were in it or would haunt the people who saw it on its release, um, like the yeah. way that like people haunt that space, but 
the films also haunt us. And I mean, I think that like what Emilio said about seeing this movie and having images of face brought back to him that he like hadn't thought about in a year, like I think like says something um, that I think is uh, kind of similar to what I think uh, Sai is getting at with Goodbye Dragon Inn. You can, I mean, there are scenes like um, the one that we mentioned earlier where um, the, the the woman who works like the ticket booth um, who, and like, I guess like runs the theater, basically. We like see her walk around a lot and like mop the floors and eat her crazy looking, or not crazy looking, it's a very like bright pink, I had to look it up, it's called a longevity peach. And it's like a bun that has like bean paste in it. Uh, but it's just huge, and it is like they put this pink dye on it to make it look like a peach. Um, but and it is just like a very striking image. Like we talk about the color of Dragon Inn, there is just like I remember the way that looks. I remember like the green rice cooker that's like sitting on her table, yeah. and it is just like all the sort of colors of it. But you have the scene that we mentioned where she is like looking up at the screen. And it is sort of, it's that big fight scene that Emilio mentioned uh, with uh, uh, um, the actress from Dragon Inn who's, like, fighting all the guys. It's just cutting back and forth and, like, her watching it is such a powerful image. And then you have later where the guy from Dragon Inn who's in the audience and it's, like, one of the guys who's in it brought, like, his grandchild with him and then the other guy's just by himself and they're, like, talking about the depth of the movie. Like, they're on opposite sides of like one section of the seats because it is like when you see it full it's like a huge theater yeah um and there is just that shot of like both of their heads looking up at themselves fighting in the movie and then the cut to the guy watching himself with tears in his eyes and it is like one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in a movie where i'm just like i mean you just feel like the power of everything cinematic like through Dragon yeah. Inn, through Goodbye Dragon Inn, through this guy's face, and it is like one of the things that slow cinema, like very obviously, works towards is just like holding and sitting in a space uh, for as long as he does. I mean, obviously the truncated rum tie in here, you don't get as much of just like sitting with things, but there is a good amount, and you feel it so so hard. And I think that scene, especially, is like one of my favorites. Yeah, there's a line in the Wikipedia page that I guess I, I like I can't verify really, so I don't, I don't know if like, but that he he like came and like to shoot at this place, and he was like, oh, and it was meant to be a short film, but then the sh- the shots were too long, so it ended That's up being funny. like, like so almost feature length. <laughs> almost it became like an almost feature length thing, which is almost like it's very funny to consider, which is like. I I put a short film's worth of content, but then I just shot it very long. It, it yeah. just like sounds like the the worst film school, just like somebody making a horrible mistake. Yeah. But it it's like it yields a very powerful idea. And I don't know. I guess it's like also I assume that it's like it's using Dragon in in an almost funereal aspect because it's being like. Well, with the death of this kind of place, then, like, a movie like Dragon Inn, which at one point in time was, like, this cultural icon, is now going to be, like, left to the dregs of time and yeah. and forgotten and died. And to, this is, like, an elegy to, like, that sort of movie going and that sort of movie that, like, I guess didn't sort of anticipate the, like, the, like, restoration and the, like, rise in interest in, in 
King Who's movies that would come later. Yeah. It did anticipate how much uh, worse movie theaters would get, though. I mean... Yeah. It's it's a it's a very sad watch now. Like, I, I get so wistful it, watching it. It, um... There was, like, a new... I, th- I could be wrong. I feel like there was a new restoration or maybe a new, like, home release of Goodbye Dragon Inn in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I remember people watching it and being like, don't watch it right now. It will make you too sad. Because it is just like, in 2020, like, obviously the height of the pandemic, debate up for debate when that is, <laughs> who knows. But uh, at the start of it, at least, where it is just like, will I ever go to a movie theater again? I don't know. I don't think I can watch a movie about, like, one dying. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, it is like... When the shot of it where, like, the lady who, like, runs it is, like, cleaning it and it's, like, the you see the entire thing, like, from the front, just, like, all the seats completely empty. Yeah. I'm just, I, I am, like, that would have been just such a killer place to watch a movie. Oh, I, yeah. and it like, seems like a so great theater and it out. is, like, dingy in a way where it's, like, uh, I mean, the, the bathrooms are, like, kind of, uh, there's that great set piece where he goes to use the bathroom and it's just, like, a four-minute scene where one guy is next to him <laughs> peeing, and there's, like, obviously great bits in there, but it is just, like, there's a scene where she turns off all the toilets for the last time, and then you have, like, Lee Kang-Shang, like, up in the projection booth, like, getting all that stuff ready. He, like, finds the last, like, half of the, the lotus cake, um, or the longevity peach, um, and, uh, like, eats that, and then, or takes it, rather, and then they're just sort of like on their separate ways. And there is that shot at the end of her like walking in the rain with the umbrella as you like see it in the background and they start playing the song. And it is I, I, the first time I watched, or I mean, the, when, I, when I watched it, I was just like, oh my God, this is like so crazy. And I think um, less like meta textually, it does use uh, Dragon Inn in a great way of like, keeping track of where we are in yeah. time of where I'm like, Oh, the movie's almost over. Like this me, this must mean that this is almost over. Like if they're already at this part in the movie. Yeah. yeah and I mean like it, it yeah. you know, it's a dingy space with the uh, projection seems really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I I'll take, I'll take, take a shitty movie theater where everything's dirty. If the projection's good 100% of the time. Yeah. Like I saw a print of Dick Tracy at the Nighthawk and I would, rather see it at that theater than the night Damn, where it's shots like fired. i just sit at these like sort of uncomfortable tables yeah there's people ordering food all around trying to me. make every part of the experience except the movie better when i saw dick tracy at, on 35 it was like a completely packed house i was going sort of just as like a, i'm here like visiting new york i should do something like this um and i was like didn't really love Dick Tracy when I saw it earlier uh, a few years ago. And I was like, maybe this will be like the good environment, like seeing it big, seeing it with a, like on film, it'll look good. Uh, a completely packed house with like the biggest Dick Tracy fans I've ever seen. People like wearing shirts. And I was like, oh yeah, no, Brooklyn, I'm like crashing the party. <laughs> um, and then the craziest thing happened is someone's phone's going off during the movie. And everyone is like, what are you doing? Turn your phone off. And everyone's like, it's not me. It's not me. And the, like, ushers are running around the bottom with, like, flashlights trying to find it. Someone had left their phone there, and they were doing find my iPhone trying to find it. So it's just going, like, ping, 
ping like for like five minutes of them trying to find where they left it and they're just like scrambling trying to find it and i did have like the brief panic where i was like did i somehow like activate the one for my airpods that's in my pocket and i'm like making all this noise and i was like really panicked because it was in my aisle but i was like no it's not me it's not me you gotta uh, make but it was just a crazy thing i like imagine that happening in goodbye dragon you gotta make goodbye dick tracy now about that experience see this is also another thing i'm glad you've brought this up a cause of mine, if you will, <laughs> is coming up with what the funniest Goodbye Dragon in sequel would be just to have Goodbye Blank Movie. Um, the one that I thought of first was Goodbye Live By Night. Um, the Ben Affleck movie from 2017, yeah. maybe? Um, uh, the one that no one the saw last or one liked. He directed b- yeah. b- before um, he returned to us. As an actor, that's yeah. true. I also like uh, Goodbye, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, <laughs> for a recent movie. Uh, obviously, yeah. Goodbye, Good Night, Good Luck. Maybe Straight Up didn't come out in a theater. <laughs> that is true, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think about like what would be the movie that would be indicative of like American Sure, yeah, that is that. a better, like, what is, I mean, it'd be like good night, uh, Goodbye, good, goodbye Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, Goodbye, Bohemian Rhapsody would be good. It's like Goodbye, Armageddon. That'd be that'd be good. I mean, yeah, you would have like and Ben Affleck you... <laughs> watching the movie next to Liv Tyler, and they're Just both like, crying. Uh, goodbye, Bad Boys Two, and like Will Smith's there yeah. with Jaden's son watching yeah. Bad Boys Two <laughs> in an empty like, theater. Yeah. I mean, look, it can be done for sure. I am trying to think now what is, like, the biggest... I mean, they would do Goodbye Top Gun Maverick uh, with Miles Teller and Glenn Powell as the old guys. Um, but, yeah, we don't need to spend that much time on it. <laughs> do you have more thoughts on Goodbye Dragon Inn? I think it's great. I really do love it a lot. I uh, Yeah, it's fantastic. I do think... Yeah, I do think, like, the rain at the end is, like, very... Yeah, it's incredibly sad, and it's, like... I think it's sort of indicative of just like, oh, this, like a place like this isn't just like a cultural center. It also like sort of provides a certain amount of protection for a, a kind of person. And yeah. just like when that's gone, all that's left is just like this person walking in the rain with like nothing over their heads to cover them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like all of those shitty think pieces about the importance of movie theaters and how we need to see. Uh, movies and movie theaters and save movie theaters but it's actually a good argument one that's about like community and personal histories more than it's about product you know yeah it is also someone else mentioned this i don't remember where i heard it um just talking about it as like the death of cinema with almost zero fanfare and it is like a very like bleak thing to think about of just like like you were saying, it was just like these two guys are like, I mean, at that point, like not knowing if anyone would ever watch this movie again, like, tr- like truly maybe just to be like, I guess this is it. Like, right. and then you have them just like n- not using the theater anymore. Yeah. And it's just a very crazy thing to think about. Yeah. It's like, in some way, like I called it like funereal or like a funeral, but it's like a funeral that nobody goes yeah. to, which is like the saddest yeah. image you could possibly conjure. Cinema dies in the like, dark. Just... Exa- yeah Especially, I mean I did it's not that I forgot about it I guess um, but I was like sort of clicking through it just to refresh myself on 
some things, and there was I I I, I was like, oh, it does start with like a completely full theater, and uh, the movie obviously does not use a full theater often, but it is just a very striking image to start with that and, and how it does. Like obviously, intentional on size part, but it, I mean it works well. He's a he's a genius. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 one of our best, very easily. Maybe our best. Like, I I do need to just see more. Strong claim to it. I I so do I. I've only seen a handful, but they're all incredible. Um, and yeah. he's still making great ones. Yeah, Days he he, he made a movie so, two years yeah. ago, and everyone loved it. Yeah, and it's like I did see. I guess another thing from the Wikipedia page that it's like like. This movie is like one of uh, a picture pong where Sethical's favorite, mm-hmm. and I di- it did also remind me a lot of uh, Uncle Boo Me in that sort of like Uncle Boo Me is like a movie that is very openly about death. I think yeah. I think it's very much about like ghosts and these people, just like the different ways a sort of haunting can occur of just like some uh, like a sort of silly spirits, but also these like very scary memories dredging back and also like a a complete displacement from time and just like the space you occupy with the people you love and it it sort of and it's like i sort of enjoy how these two movies sort of play against each other in my mind uncle boomy is a movie that i like really really love and the more i think about it it's just like it's always stuck with me and i enjoy thinking about it within the context of a movie like this well with that any final thoughts before we move on to special presentations? I did not warn you about this segment, Chris. But uh, we do special presentations where show, you Colin. are... Uh, okay, okay, great, okay. Um, can, we'll, never, we'll never assume for any guest. <laughs> um, but yeah, any final thoughts? Good movie. Good movies. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I do think... Some great yeah, films. It is a, it's a great double feature to do. Because, it's, like... Yeah, it makes sense. They're both relatively uh, short. Like, yeah, a theater here in Pittsburgh um, did that double feature a couple months ago, which was really cool. We don't get a lot of uh, good rep cinema here. Um, but yeah. that, that happened, and uh, I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm, sure, I'm glad yeah. other <laughs> people did. Yeah. I'm glad you all had yeah. fun. Congrats um, to you. But yeah, special presentation. I've got one that I don't think Emilio likes. <laughs> um... But I do just need to talk about how great Dirty Grandpa is. <laughs> um, it is... <laughs> a friend described it as, like, a, the argument against woke culture. <laughs> but I, I can't do that. It is just, like, a very insane movie where... I watched the unrated version. I had not seen this movie before, like, a week ago. I never saw it in theaters. Um... But, like, universally hated, basically. It's Robert De Niro and Zac Efron, obviously, and they are traveling to somewhere in Florida to drop Robert De Niro off after his wife, Zac Efron's grandmother, died. And uh, he's the dirty grandpa. He's one of the filthiest men. (laughs) He's always saying insane things that no one says. And... uh, the unrated version it has a very like robust cast of like the UCB-ish like improv comedians of the 2010s where it's like 
Adam Pally plays a supporting role and is like insane and hilarious. <laughs> he just shows up in the second half of the movie with cornrows for no reason. You have Jason Manzukis playing a character named Pamela, and he consistently is like, my name is Pam, <laughs> and like telling people. And it is one of those things where I'm like, this isn't what a normal like comedy is. You don't have people going like the furthest they can with a joke. And, like, it's not one of those things that's, like, people each taking an attempt at, like, oh, it smells like this plus that plus this in this room or whatever. Like, it is people actually being funny (laughs) for, like, five minutes at a time. And it is just surprising. You don't see a movie like that anymore. Uh, Efron is, like, completely game, uh, like, as we know from, like, the Neighbors movies, I guess. And so is De Niro. Everyone is full like bought in on the movie and it is completely great (laughs) i watched it like two weeks ago with friends and it's one of those things where anytime someone's like i haven't seen that movie i'm like 100 percent. i will just watch it with you right now if you want to (laughs) i am ready to go on dirty grandpa anytime anywhere and i think everyone should watch it it's great (laughs) i've never seen uh dirty grandpa uh but it is one of my mom's favorite movies (laughs) That is incredible. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, look, Shout you should watch Simpsons. it. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. I'll see it. Um, do you have a special presentation, Chris? Um, so, I've been doing a lot of rewatches lately, so I don't really know anything off the top of my head. Um, I'll take a minute to talk about some of my, like, other favorite Wuxia and Kung Fu movies. Um, go ahead, go ahead. Perfect. Um, so, a couple of them just hit uh, Arrow, if you have the Arrow streaming service. Um, a couple more King Who's are on there. Um, a few of them are only available in the UK because like Criterion has the rights in the US but uh, one of those mm-hmm. is Raining in the Mountain which is sort of a uh, kung fu film but not really uh, in any substantial way it's a heist movie about um, some people trying to steal a scroll from some monks in the mountains it's one of the movies that King Hu made uh, when he went to Korea later in his career uh, in 79 okay. he made Raining in the Mountain and Legend of the Mountain and Raining in the Mountain, uh, a bunch of different factions are all trying to um, get this scroll from these monks. And they, like, encounter one another and they have these scenes that are like fight scenes, but they're mostly just outmaneuvering one another, uh, tripping each other up, uh, doing what is best described as, like, pranks on one another. Sure. Just, it's this, like, caper comedy that ends in a way very similar to Touch of Zen with, like, this, like, big, like, Buddhist moment um, that I think is, like, where the movie transcends. But it just, like, has all the things that you would like in, like, a kung fu comedy movie without the, like, extended fight scenes. Though the movement sure, and athleticism sure. are there. Um, yeah, I'm Raining in the Mountains on Arrow right now, I think. Um, check it out. Great. Amelia, do you have one a special presentation? Do I have a special? Your baby, you came up with special presentations. as a peek behind the curtain. Um, I don't know why you, that needs to be said. I mean, <laughs> I understand that I came up with it. I'm just uh, filling dead air, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I guess I almost always plug music, and this week, I will. You know what? I will. 
I got it. You know what the problem with, with me in special presentations often is, is that I'm off. I I get stuck in these ruts of just like doing and watching and listening to the same things that I don't know if I plugged something before. But this week I will plug previous guest JJ Bursch's Spotify playlist. That's a great plug. He uh, makes these Spotify playlists every month. It's sort of like a collection of new music, but like a pretty good, cool one that has like a pretty wide berth of what he includes. And I always enjoy listening to them to find stuff to just like find new stuff to listen to and just uh, find cool stuff. I guess another plug I will put quickly plug. Uh, I've been getting into the podcast What a Time to Be Alive because I just need sure. a lot of stuff to listen to that's like pretty funny and entertaining and that podcast is good at that. Well, yeah, with that, thank you, Chris, for being on. Yeah, thank you for having uh, me. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, sure. So um, I am still writing over it in Review Online. Um, I just had a new uh, 50th anniversary retrospective piece on the uh, Chor Yuan's Wuxia film, um, Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan, go up today. Um, wow. Go read that piece. Um, go read the pieces on Dim the House Lights that Emilio wrote. Um, that I helped out with. Very proud <laughs> of what you. we did with those. Um, and, um, of course, uh, donate to your local abortion fund, people. Great call. Yeah, I guess I don't know if I plugged it last week, but I guess I wrote a review of Elvis. You can read on... It's it was in the, in the show, show notes, notes yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we I, get, I, don't, I think up. I didn't... I don't it know wasn't if out I by the time we recorded, and then it yeah, came so out I didn't when it published. Pl- yeah. yeah, I didn't plug it on the show. So if people listen and don't read the show notes as often as the case, you can go read that. It's pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah we all love we it. Um, but then with that, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Can I Kick It. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd or Instagram, you can do that at Pod. We have a place you can donate money to us if you would like to do so. Um, ko-fi.com slash K-N-I-C-A-N-N-E-S-I. Uh, always love whatever comes from there. All big shouts to our recurring donors. Um, if you want to email us, you can at canikickitpod at gmail.com. And then as far as personal plugs go, I'm Clatchley on everything sealed. C L A T C H L E Y and Emilio. I am I'm Laugh Alone on Twitter. I laugh alone on Letterboxd. Uh Emilio.andres.torres on Instagram. Alright, and our theme song is by True Related, who's on Spotify and SoundCloud at True Related. And then that's the end of the show and we'll release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye bye.